a third song for the Gear Podcast. Welcome to the Gear Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Troy Nababana. I am Leon Todd, L E O N T O D. We like gear. You like gear. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to everybody who has subscribed to the podcast recently. I check the analytics every now and then and uh, pretty surprised by the uptake over here. Clearly, Troy, there are a bunch of other people in the world who like to talk about gear as much as we do. Well, they don't get to talk about it. They get to listen to it. They get to- they We get to, get to talk about it. That I do when I listen to podcasts where I, I, I pretend I'm having a conversation with the person- speaking but because there's two of us yeah. i don't know how i would do that with this particular podcast i've been i've had podcasts i've been listening to for now like 10 years and um you do feel like you're friends with the people in the podcast i actually have met people on podcasts and hung out with them a little bit which is very strange um like some guys over in america and um yeah it's really it's really sort of funny you're just kind of like oh yeah i know everything about you i feel like you're the you're the leader of the podcast vanguard in my general circle of friends. You were sort of the guy who was like, yeah, hey, podcasts are sick. Yep. I remember thinking, no, they're not. And here we are, mate. You, you know you, what it was? It was 10 years ago when we were doing all the Kalgoorlie runs. Yeah, um, right. Still doing the Kalgoorlie runs, but needed something to listen to. And it was easy to download a hour-long episode, two-hour-long episode of something for the drive and tune out and not listen to the people in the car that you're yeah. traveling with. So... Uh, some of those people listen to this podcast, so uh, yeah, sorry about that, Scott. But uh, <laughs> no hard feelings now. I would never do that anymore. We listen to a podcast as a group now. Which is even better. Which Actually, even I, better. Do, I do remember driving to Kalgoorlie and um, watching Machete. Machete? What's that? Machete? With, uh, with Danny Trejo. Yeah, I watched that on my iPad. I don't know why I watched that one movie. I, I watched From Dusk Till Dawn over the in between podcasts which is uh which has a danny trejo cameo have you seen that i have not that was like night mid 90s hey yeah it's robert rodriguez but <clears throat> like quentin tarantino is in it as you would expect but the first half of it is a tarantino movie and the second half is a vampire movie hmm. so i'd i'd recommend watching it once it's entertaining enough and good enough where you, you just don't see it coming yep uh yeah there's danny trejo and uh Harvey Keitel and Selma Hayek. It's um, Juliette Lewis is in it mm -hmm. as well, like a young Juliette Lewis. It's it's fun. Uh, I I, I kind of left just thinking like, what did I just watch? All right, so I'll, I'll you, do it. You were, you were saying before we started, mate, that uh, you had a pretty cruisy weekend. You I did. One gig on Friday night and then the rest of the weekend hang out with the kids. So that was really good. But, you know, I walked in today because uh, I haven't been. It's Tuesday morning. I haven't been here since Friday afternoon. The studio just stinks, man. Like, I don't know what it is. It's kind of maybe some old like coffee cups or something, but it's just got that musk. Like it's a musky smell that I haven't, um, I haven't had for a little while. Musty smell, not musk. Not, uh, I was going to say like normally once, once you've been in there mi mixing and you've been working up a bit of a musk. Yeah. Well, it it's, I got a session straight after this. So I, I actually have some incense burning over in the corner because I needed to just try and re remove this smell as much as possible. Are um, you aware that there's basically a mouse plague in WA at the moment? Is there really? Man. Because, man, okay, I don't know if I told you this, but, you know, we have, we've got some mice at, uh, mice at home, uh, put some traps out on Wednesday night, and in the first hour caught three mice in the same trap. Like the catch and release one, so caught them, see you yep. later. Um, over the course of, like, for 36 hours, I caught seven mice. I think, so my parents have an aviary, 
I think my mum was saying she caught 30 something oh my in God. one night. Yeah. It's and apparently this is this is only the initial it's being predicted that it's going to get considerably worse, especially in, you know, the agricultural reasons. I mean, over east they had a mouse plague two years ago. But yeah, it's <clears> I mean, like our cats have caught a few mice, which is weird because we normally just never get them in here. Uh, I walked in a couple of weeks ago and it looked like a murder scene. Um, right. Our male cat had just got a hold of one and he certainly doesn't muck around. And he was looking pretty proud of it and he was angry that I took it off him. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's, been, there's been a lot, you know. It's like you just – to the point where they get brazen, where you just see him just standing out like, yep. Yeah, man, we saw so, a couple of just fighting, just having a, a fat time. Having a bit of a tiff, getting on the Bundy and Coke. <laughs> yeah. So what about you, mate? How's your weekend? You, I saw you did a pretty big giggy at uh, the Brisbane, hey? Well, for you know, considering there were actually some people there, that was kind of fun. Yeah, we did. I mean, Ryan and I did the hen Friday, which was nice. Like the weather's still good. It's like Perth is holding out and yep. clinging onto this delicious sunshine. So yeah, that was pretty cool. That was a regular, and I actually I'd strung up my guitar that has EMGs, the Strat kind of got the black sparkle finish and mm -hmm. use that which is kind of fun it's got like a really wide neck so that was pretty that was kind of cool to use <laughs> that and lack of lack of noise is always nice with that and yeah then saturday night we played at the brisbane hotel i had a few people uh who follow the channel and follow the podcast and a few of my students came down so that was pretty cool it was pretty busy and it was um it's a really interesting it was like the most Perth demographic you can get, I think. It was pretty much like 18 to 65-year-olds yep. in equal numbers. Uh, but it was good. They, like, they really looked after us. Um, like it was, it's, I mean, the Brisbane's a very busy pub all the time. So when we got there, it was busy and it was busy during the show. And they, they brought in some production, which was nice. So the PA was really good, sounded great on stage. The sound guy... We, it was it was interesting though because we used our desk, so that was sort of the they had like PA and subs and a basic mixer, but they sort of said bring your own desk and uh, yeah, it was fun. Strange, you know, we okay. the the theme for the night was they're doing this thing where it's set lists from festivals, so you know <clears> they've got a Woodstock themed gig coming up and they've done Big Day Out and we were doing the Rock in Rio one, so you know I put in like a thousand percent more effort than I usually do for putting together a set list. And which means I put in no, like, yeah, you put more. in 6% effort for a change. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, mate. And, uh, yeah, it was, I went through and looked at all the different lineups and it's pretty much our cover set anyway. Mm -hmm. so we did that, but you know, there was someone there who wanted run to paradise. So we played run to paradise and it went ballistic. So then we just played a bunch of Aussie stuff. And, uh, there were some people down there who had seen us at the guitar festival in Margaret river. And, uh, <laughs> It was great. One of the guys was saying, he's like, oh man, you know, yeah, I was, I was a few beers and a few other things deep that night. And I was kind of like, you know, floating and we walked into Settlers and you guys were playing, you were playing that song, Rewind Your Mind. And it just like, just really hit me, you know? Uh, so we just stayed and had like such a great time. And I was like, wait, were you the guys up at the front? Because there's a guy in a, oh, I forget the, there's a hardcore band called Terror and he had a Terror shirt on. And I remember just saying, oh, Terror. Yeah. They're a good hardcore band, and this guy, like, I don't know. I think we, I think we had some kind of spiritual bond. He, he lost it, and yeah. So they were like, play rewind your mind. So we closed with that, which is 
funny doing like a whole covers thing and then having a bunch of people just like, oh, I don't know the words to this one. This is weird. Yep. But it was a good night. Uh, good night. Like I took, this was interesting, right? I took my McCarty because I like playing that guitar sometimes and I took the same Strat, but the, I think the volume control on the McCarty I found out halfway through the gig just doesn't work. Oh. Um, yeah, so I need to just, I think I just need to change the pot. Yep. Um, it's just thrashed out. So yeah, I was, I'm so used to working the volume control for silence that, you know, you, you're there and you're like clapping along and doing stupid stuff and the guitar's going, Ooh. Man, that's my biggest peeve with every other guitar player. Like I got that off watching Paul Gilbert videos where he's like, man, when you're not playing, just turn your volume down. But no one does it. I, I, remember, uh, I remember when I did work experience at Cosmic. So a family friend of ours, Gary, used to work at Cosmic. Um, and Music shop for like, those not in Perth. Yeah, for those not in, not in Perth. That's a very good point. Not not This isn't a reference to astronomy or drug use. Uh, yeah, and Gary was great, like really great guitar player. One of the first adults, aside from my dad, that I'd ever met who knew who Ingve was, and he could do a lot of the stuff and like have the vibrato and, yeah, great player, really lovely guy. And uh, gave me some really good advice. It, like when I was like 14, he was like, mate, there's one pedal in the shop you need, and it's that yellow one right there, the SD1. Then he was like, mate, you want a noise suppressor? I'll tell you the best $10 you can ever spend on a noise suppressor. Get one of those Damasio speed pots. He's oh, like, okay, yeah. And when you're playing, and if you're not playing a chord, just use your pinky and roll the volume down. And I remember being like, oh, of course, that makes so much sense. And it's a reflex now. Yep. You know? Me like too, man. Play, and when you stop and you roll your volume control down, which means that you got to maintain your volume pots. I think I have on my Les Paul, it's a little bit scratchy. So when I'm doing demos, you'll hear like a... Yeah. It's not, it's not the amp. But yeah, that's actually probably... That's a good point. Like the volume control roll down thing. You got to you know, you do it. When I did the, the last Dockers game, I might have mentioned it actually, but like I had to play the start of... I was only 19. And so <clears throat> it was like transitioning from that into We Will Rock You. And the patch that I've got set up. So it's a like, it's a really high gain 800 with a tube screw in front of it and then a lot of delay. And so I had to go from like clean to that sound, but my pedal board or like my Axe 8 is like at this point, like 10 meters away from me, I've got like a very, very long cable. How do I get from one sound to the other? You know how I did it, Uncle Leon? Roll the, the correct way to do it, mate. Roll the volume back. <laughs> Done. And, um, but not only that, like for the start of that, I basically watch, they unmute my guitar like maybe 30 seconds before I play and I wait for the, the coin to flip and then I've got to start. So it's just like, right, that's my cue, roll the volume up and, and get going with my my bit. But like to get the the sound clean, like clean enough um, to be passable is like, it's within a millimeter. There's a small window. Yeah, and I did it. I was actually really surprised. And in fact, this, uh, the sound guy w was like, man, it actually sounded pretty good clean. Like, I know. This is because I'm so bad at tap dancing that I had to get used to running like with that sort of setup for so long. Yeah. And, yeah, and it's I find it way better. So, yeah. I, interestingly enough, I was talking about this with um, our friend Simon the other week because I, I like... So, when I really, really got nerdy into guitar say like 2006, like when I was uh, like first met you, remember I was playing the PGM and the yep. PGM has uh, like the Paul Gilbert signature Ibanez um, and it's got these F holes on it. And then the volume knob is located 
um, at the bottom of the one of the F holes. So it kind of it is invisible if you look at the guitar from the front. And it's also out of the way if you're picking and doing things like that. Yeah, but I got really used to that, like being far away and having effectively no other controls apart from a pickup selector switch um, on the guitar. And I found that really comfortable. Um, it took me a little bit going back to strats um, where it's like so close. Um, but obviously you can do that sort of like roll the volume up, do the pinky thing and the swells like way easier when it's so uh, like located so close to the, um, the strings. But yeah, I just, I still kind of like it far away. Like Yeah, you can do, I mean, I remember a really common mod uh, was, and I, again, I think, uh, you know, Gary telling me this one, he's like, mate, <clears throat> ever find the volume control on a Strat's too close? take one of the tone pots out, yep. move everything down one and just wire it as a master tone. And he had all his strats like that. Yep. I think he actually had one of Ian Moss's old strats oh, as well. Cool. Which, um, I feel like I remember playing and it was like, it was a really cool old strat. So yeah, there was a few, that was, that was really, really interesting. Yep. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, old school, old school tips and tricks. Like that's just what you do. Yep. And especially, you know, like I love the fact that something like a fractal has noise gates built into it, but I still use that, you know, because I still want to have that little range where if you do want to back it off, the noise gate isn't going to totally kill everything. Yeah, and there's so much more transparent now too. Like even having it like first in the chain on the, on the thing with my yeah. like using the uh, NS2 is that, that that's the boss one, hey. Awesome, yeah. Uh, that was okay. Uh, and the Rocktron Hush as well, because I, I played around a lot with the rack stuff where, where to put noise gates and whatnot. But um, yeah, you do kind of get that range where it's a bit hard to to play the dynamic stuff. Um, I've not touched... Well, the fact that I got a clean sound uh, the other day w with the guitar on like not even one, basically, like with the smallest margin of error there, and it was still like coming through cleanly and clearly and not noisy. It's like pretty impressive. So actually just a quick note on that, Leon, um, I messaged you, but like I, I finally got a chance to play with the FM3. Um, oh last yeah. Week. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm very keen to hear your thoughts, but as a long time AX8 user, finally getting to try the three. Well, you know where I got it from, right? Yeah. Some guy, some, some, some long haired guy that uh, just happened to leave one at my studio and so it's, um, I didn't bother to install the software to, to really, you know, get into the nuts and bolts. I'm like, ah, oh, it's been sitting here. I need to learn some songs for a gig this weekend. And I thought, oh, just for the, the fact of like learning them, I'll plug this in and, and go through it. So I'm like, oh, all right. What, um, firstly, what patches are in here? And I pulled up these, they said something like LT, um, rhythm, LT lead. I don't know what that stood for, someone's, but, uh, probably LT clean. LT's patches. But um, <laughs> I had to play through that. I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. I like this. All right, I better try and make a tone. And yeah, it took me all of about like, you know, okay, I've, I'm used to the way Fractal works through the AX8 and the Ultra and stuff. So I've got a bit of experience. I found it really easy to start making a patch on that interface. I think it's a lot easier than the AX8. I'm not really sure what part of it it is that's easier. Uh, maybe it's just the way the screen looks or maybe it's just snappier. Um or the, the way the knobs respond. But yeah, it was just like super easy. It is snappier. And I think because you don't have to do the thing where there's a set input and output and like go across the whole screen, you've just got input and output blocks that you can kind of put anywhere. Yeah. I really like that. Uh, it's, I think as well. You can know, I just say, I didn't know that until you just said that then. Really. <laughs> I still, I shunted, it's called the shunt, right? I, I yeah. shunted from the start to the end. And I was like, why is there no sound? And then I was like, oh, uh, maybe go. I've got to put the thing and like, it didn't take very long to work that out, but 
Yeah. I was like, oh. No, it is. I just find like all the amps and effects, it's easier to dial in. Man. Like, that's the, like way less time. And I said that, you know, when I first got an Axe FX 3 and I did a video with it, I was like, the big change is you just have to tweak it less. You can tweak it heaps, but, you know, the I think the Ultra and the 2, there was a little bit of that, like, oh, you got to kind of know some of the tips and tricks. Yeah, man. Like, I literally, uh, when I made a tone, I'm like, cool, put an amp block in, put a cab block in. The first, is this stock, can you tell me, is like the stock first amp you put in a Cameron? No, but that's probably because you're on a patch where I've been using a Cameron. <laughs> um, okay, maybe, yeah. It was, was all, it no, there was, there was like nothing. Or something? No, there's nothing in there, man. There's like no patches apart from like your LT thing. And then yes, everything else is empty. That. I remember that because I deleted all the factory presets. Yeah. On. And so what that meant was like the first thing that came up was a Cameron. The first cabinet that came up was a fucking four inch pig nose speaker. And the tone <laughs> was amazing. Man, like it man, was so good. The speaker is sick i like that is there's i'm pretty sure there's a reason it's in there as the first cabin not some four by 12 because it's really easy to forget that it's there and i've done that a few times where i'm like yeah man this sounded really good today and it's a one by four pig and you're just like yep it would be impossible in the real world to do this but this is yeah they're really really great sounding irs the um there's like a one by six and a one by eight in there as well. That's well. all that's in there, man. Like in this specific one, because you deleted everything. There's a pig nose, there's a six inch one, and there's your fucking LT greenback TV thing. I but, know what you're doing. You're going, because there's two factory banks. Okay. So you're going through the banks. The first one in factory bank one is the pig nose. The first one in factory bank two would be the other one. Then you've got the user bank. Oh, maybe. If you go to like factory bank one, then there's like a thousand IRs and there's another thousand in... Oh, I just turned the knob and there's like only those uh, cabs that came up. So I play with that. But in saying that, there I was go. like, it's fucking hell. The Cameron fun. sounded awesome. Um, yep. I, the, all the amps I played, I was actually very surprised that it sounded like a guitar sound. And interestingly, that like 3K like pingy hit thing, I just didn't have it straight didn't off the bat. It, yeah. So no, it's, it's, it's a really great example of... It's not that much different, but there are differences, I think, where it really counts. Yep. Um, and it, it's just faster. Like, a lot of people... Here's the thing, mate. People harp on about user interfaces, right? And, you know, using a Helix is... It's the best user experience out there, easily. It cannot be doubted. But another part of the user experience is how long it takes to get a good sound. Yep. And I think with the Fractal stuff, it's... The, for me, it's the fastest to get from like nothing to, yeah, that's really, really good. I can play some guitar. Yep. So I feel like I don't actually do that much tweaking anymore. It's, yeah, it's like, oh, cool. I've got, you know, on the editor, you've got the blocks library. So I use that for the mark stuff. But yeah, like the CCV2A is just a really, really good kind of Marshall sound. I've been using, um, I think it's in the uh, AX8, the Brit 800 mod. Oh, yeah. That's that might be really, the one I use, I think. Yeah, it's, it's a... It's just a really good sounding 800. Um, so yeah, that's that's really that's kind of cool to know that it uh, that it's we had a similar experience. Yeah, actually, just to, to piggyback on that because, like, you remember I got my I got a Pod Go. I think it was in a 2020, uh, yep. and I was tossing up getting a Fractal or something like sorry, getting an FM3 because I think they were out at that point. Yep. Um, but you know, bit spendy and all that sort of stuff. And I tried the Pod Go. It had a lot of really good things about it. The thing I liked the most is as I uh, went through the presets, the tone was like very immediately easy to to get what I wanted and, and get. And even the factory stuff I thought sounded very good and natural. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Whereas I don't, I never had the same thing. Like the factory presets in the Axe 8 were like fine, but there was always stuff in there. I was like, oh, I like this part of it. I don't like that part. Right. When I, like trying to get a, a tone uh, like quickly was always a bit of a struggle. But yeah, I, I think the FM3 is definitely a step up, step up for me to the point where I was like, hmm. How much room have I got on my board? <laughs> could I could yeah, I right. ditch the HX stomp and uh, and chuck this on instead? Or you know, is that worth investigating? Um, we got a, we've got some other topics to talk about, so I don't want to sp- dwell on this too much longer. But I just got one question for you: How's yeah. the uh, How's the Octava on this compared to the AX8? Is it like or compared to the uh, the Line Six now? The the pitch tracking's way better on the FM3. Like the virtual capo in it which I don't think they even had on the AX8. I don't is, think they did, no. Yeah, it works totally fine. So I think the pitch tracking is a lot better. I, the HX stuff, the Octave stuff in it, like, is really, really good, though. It's yep. it's it's like it's less about the tracking and more about the character. Like, I really, right. I really like, like because I, I had an M5 for a while, and I remember loving the filter stuff and loving the Octave stuff. And, yeah, like, for me, the HX stomp, I like it for the delays because um, it was the one that I bought was basically I, I was going to buy one of the new DL4s because delay. Yeah. And I saw an HX stomp pop up for pretty much the same price. And I was like, well, it's basically got all the same stuff in it. So may as well get that. Delays, filter, and like the octave and synth effects, I think are mm. superb in there. The drives, like, you know, everything else is really good. But, um, you know, I think if it was down to like... <laughs> reverb chorus pitch detune all that other stuff i think the helix stuff is like good but not great yep. but i think the delay and the synth and filter and octave effects are really great so yeah yeah it, i think if you like that um i don't know i haven't really ab'd them i'd be really curious to hear if you do what you think well mate sounds like i've just provided you with some more content right there there you I'll go i'll still myself might just start a a uh you know a competitive youtube channel just uh just for that one video. Just but, so we can compete with one another, but <clears throat> promote the same podcast. That's right. We uh, we have a couple topics today, Uncle Leon, so should we get uh, get stuck into I think it? we should dive straight in, mate. So let's, um, let's start with I topic- I a bit of a list for one of them. Yeah, well, is that um, the little the little pedal ones? Is that what the, the one little you- stops that could? Yeah, let's do it. My list is actually surprisingly short, so um, let's, let's get stuck into it. So you want to tell everybody what we want to talk about today? Well, we want to celebrate Boss Pedals today because they work and they're good. In fact, a lot of them are really, really great. And as a preamble to this, what I did when we were talking about things to talk about on today's podcast, I went through my YouTube channel and in the Creator Studio, you can search, you know, like the, you can search keywords. So I was like, well, every time I've done a video for a Boss thing, I would have used the term Boss. And so I searched Boss. (laughs) And I found 93 videos with really? that the title. Jeez. And <clears throat> I found that I have demoed 43 distinct different boss products. That's pretty good. So let me let me give you a small sample of some of the things that we're talking about. There's some of the so I think we should restrict talking to the compact pedals. Yep. Uh, but you know, there's things in there like the GT 1000, the SY 1000, the GX 100. Uh, it's technically not Boss, it's Roland, but the GP100, which we talked about recently. I just got a Boss GX700. I finished doing a video with that yesterday, so that'll be out in the next week or two. Uh, there's their 500 pedals, mm-hmm. like the delay and reverb and modulation, which are great. The 200s, you know, the DD200, really, really good. 
all that kind of stuff. And then the 20 series pedals, of course, the dual pedals are really, mm-hmm. really great. I, had a, like, I still have a DD20. It's one of my favorite delays. But, you know, when it comes to the compact pedals, it's I find it amazing how just resilient some of the designs are, mm. you know, and how <laughs> timeless some of the designs are. And I think part of that is because, you know, they were there at the absolute forefront of compact pedals being a thing. It's kind of like Boss and Ibanez Maxon, right? That, yep. that's, a, that's where it all starts. So what I'm going to say, mate, is maybe we should start and pick three each of our absolute favorite Boss pedals, and I'll let you start. Uh, yeah, do you want to go one for one? Like one, one, let's, one? Let's go, let's go one for one. All right. First one. Are you ready? Let's start, ready. Let's start at the very tippy top, mate. Yep. T-U-2. Ah, oh, the, the tuner. The tuner. <laughs> I didn't even, you know, I didn't even think of that and that wasn't even on, oh, I haven't done a demo with it, but I didn't even write it down on the list of bus stuff that I really like. Well, the TU2, TU3 doesn't really matter, but I think that is, I mean, start of the, start of the signal chain, probably. Um, it's a very good buffer. Very good buffer. Very big, easy to see display. Uh, very big button to press indestructible um i've got a tu2 and a tu3 uh maybe i i might have lent my tu2 to somebody but yeah indestructible and i uh, well actually to to bring him up again i remember paul gilbert saying you know just get one of these it's the best tuner um so yeah i've um when i've had boards that have had uh if i haven't had say a multi-effects on it i've always used that pedal i've always found it the best um Compared to other tuner pedals, like I've got this like long skinny Ibanez one, just didn't really like the way that looked. The poly tunes to me flick around too much and go to like the polyphonic mode or the non-polyphonic mode and I kind of hate the way that works. So just get yourself a TU2, like the end. What I almost bought- I had for a while, I think on my American board, like my tour board, just because I just, they'd only just sort of come out and I was like, oh, I'll get a poly tune and my one- I mean, it obviously worked fine because I just used it for a long time, used it for years. But my one distinct memory of using that was uh, one Rocklahoma. It might have been like 2015, the muddy one. Mm-hmm. And I remember tuning up, like putting new strings on my guitar and tuning up at like there was a merch booth next to the stage or something like mm-hmm. that. And I was just hanging out talking to people. But I was, yeah, restringing my guitar while doing it about an hour before the show. I remember having the poly tune in there. And, um, yeah, kind of having that experience where I was like, oh, this is, I've never really noticed this, but this is really sensitive. Yep. The so, boss stuff, though. And, you know, it's funny with the boss. Uh, have you ever had this experience where, you know, we've both done it where you go and sit in with a band for a song? Mm-hmm. You're playing the guitar player's rig and they have their boss tuner in a different mode to the one you're used to. <laughs> you know, there's the one where it's like, there's this, uh, strobe mode instead of, and instead of having just chromatic mode, it's like the string. So string number one, string yep. number six, you're going, bro, why is this thing? It's telling me my E string is, is G. And they're like, no, that's a six. Let's just not touch the buttons on a tuner pedal. I think that's <laughs> a fire, man. Okay. And just as a quick side note to that, um, I've had two experiences using lines, like line six products the M nine and the HX stomp. One was with you where this happened twice with me. On yeah. Your yeah. Whereby we've played a gig tuned up and it sounds the 
the worst thing you've ever heard in your life. And I'm like, I remember the last time it happened, leaning up to you, Leon, can you fucking tune your guitar, please? Because I'm looking oh, at mine like I'm banging like, tune. Bro, I'm in tune. As it turns out, my foot, while I've been in tune mode, my foot has kicked the knob to change the tuning from 440 to 445. Or like it's it's like kicked it enough where it's not in 440 anymore. So it's obviously been a couple of times. So that's happened on two different pedals. Um, it happened at a rehearsal a couple of years ago too when I was playing bass and I was like, man, these this band is terrible. What, what's yeah. going on? It can't be me. This keyboard player is doing something <laughs> wrong. So anyway, that's my number one. What about you, mate? Okay. Uh, and as you say this, I'm just going to quickly go off camera for a second, but you, you keep you, talking, right? You, you do that, mate. Uh, for me, it's the SD one. Because the first boss pedal I ever owned and, uh, you know, tying back into that earlier story of having an experienced guitar player tell me, mate, there's only one thing you need in this store and it's that yellow pedal right there. And I've done lots and lots of gigs with that. I use it as a basically as a boost, like most people for a long time where, you know, drive down pretty low, level up pretty high, tone just above noon, you get the thing you run it in front of a marshal and it sounds great i remember also loving it because you know zach wilde famously used it no more tears you know sd1 boosting a marshal that's just what you do and i remember and this would have been maybe six or seven years ago now i remember doing some gigs where i it was an acoustic duo with a buddy and i decided to play electric guitar and, you know, I was just playing clean for the whole gig. And I'd done a few gigs with the ME50. And yep. then I, w I did some of the gigs where I took a DSL and a little cabinet. And I took an SD1 and I used it as a drive pedal, which was right. sort of mind-blowing to me. But it sounded so good. You could run in front of a clean amp and get this really smooth uh, kind of drive out of it. I remember maybe one of the first YouTube videos I ever made in, like, 2011, before it was a thing, I modified one of them. There was this, um, you could look it up online. Uh, Love Pedal had a pedal called the Eternity Drive, sort of like boutique thing. And yeah, someone figured out that you can change a few components in an SD1 and do the Eternity mod to it. Right. So I did that. But then I sold the pedal to somebody and then I bought another SD1. So yeah, it's it's just, I've kind of always had one, yep. um, even though I had one that I modded. So yeah, it's just a, you know, it it it's just a classic it's on my drive board now as well that I've got. It's just yep. always, it's one of those for so many people, it's the one. I've got one uh, that I use a little bit. It's it's definitely one of my favorite of that type, uh, style of drives. I think I went through and shot a bunch of them out like the usual suspects a couple of years ago. And I really, really highly rated that above, well, like at least for that setup, Tube Screamer, Bad Monkey, even though the yeah. Bad Monkey is one of the you know most expensive pedals of all time. Uh, AP Booster, all that sort of stuff. There was just a thing about it that I found really, really satisfying. I've had some experiences with it that I haven't liked it as much, but I yeah, think that's yeah. a, that's one of those pedals where it can be so easily operator error, and that's why you don't like it. Um, yeah, and then, you know, some amp, like, it's... <clears throat> It, it can be guitar amp, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those like 95% of the time, it's probably the right choice. I know the, uh, the new Wampler pedals are sort of like budget line that they did. The, is it the Pantheon? No, that's a, the wrong one that I'm thinking of. Uh, it is, oh man, what's the name of the pedal? 
I, I feel awful here, but they did a distortion and they did a drive and the drive has a switch that goes from like SD1 to Bad Monkey. That's funny. I like that. Yeah, that's really, really good. Uh, and Brian had done that pre Bad <laughs> Monkey hype. So uh, yeah, um, there's definitely a video on my channel with it. So I feel bad that I can't remember the name. Um, why uh, Pantheon's a different Wampler pedal. I'm, I'm an absolute idiot. So uh, leave it in the comments if you remember what it is. There's the Phenom. That's, that's the distortion. That's the one I think you've lent that to me. That sounds really cool. I like that a so lot. It's the one that's not the Phenom. Apologies to Brian Wampler and, fr and friends. For yeah, that. Leon hates you. It's, yeah. This is why I don't remember the name of the pedal, even though it sounds really, really good. So, yeah, that's cool. That one's like an SD1 bad monkey. Yep. Uh, and they're pretty affordable. So, mate, you're up next. All right. Well, um, let's go to something a little bit different. Let's talk about the Boss OC2. Oh, which I made you buy for me in America in I think 2013. So happy 10 yep, year anniversary that. to that I pedal. Finding one and <clears throat> and then wanting one. You used that on bass for a long I time. I did. Right? I got that from one Alderetti from Racer X, not yes. from Lars Volta, from Racer X. Racer X. John yeah. Alderetti. Is that how you say his surname? I, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. And also, I remember. I remember. Pedals and effects, <clears throat> watching that heaps. That was yep. one of the first gear YouTube channels that I remember really checking out and being like, man, these guys are awesome. It's just yeah. all the grossest pedals and grossest tones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where I saw that pedal. And um, I was playing a lot more bass at the time because I went from, well, you know, I'm a guitar player that played bass because there were bass gigs and because Ryan didn't want to play a gig. So yeah. I got a call to do it and sing lead vocals. And here we are, whatever, 10, 12 years later. But um, I had a five-string Yamaha, which sounded really cool. And I only had that bass because I bought it off a friend of the channel, Gareth. And, uh, well, I need I borrowed it off him for a, for a little bit and then I bought it. But it was really heavy. I didn't really need the five on it. Oh, it was anchor. Yeah, and it was, it was tough. So I found a jazz bass, uh, USA Jazz, very cheap locally. Really and, nice bass. Yeah, and I picked that up actually right on the way to do a gig with you. It was like opposite ends of the freeway. It was a, yeah, right. I think I had to go down to somewhere like, you know, Murdoch Uni Way to buy this bass. And then I had a gig at the Cornerstone up near your place. That's probably like an hour and a half drive just about in Friday afternoon traffic. Uh, took it straight to the gig and played it. But um, the year later, when we're doing a lot more, I was doing a lot more bass gigs. Um, there were certain songs where doing three piece. So if I was doing a gig with you and it was just you, me and drums and me singing, um, when you do a solo, I just wanted a bit more weight. And so I got a little bit of that with use using a distortion pedal. So that was okay. Um, but I found the, um, yeah, like an octave, an, an octave there just to turn it into effectively the D like playing the fifth fret on the A string. So I could get a low D and a low C and sometimes right. a low B was enough to cover what I needed. And um, I got pretty good at it, man. Like I, I still talk about yeah. it with people I, where I was able to, for a period of time, very easily sing, very easily play. And then just when I needed just one note to be a D, because the boss pedals are such a perfect size that your foot can't miss it. I could just kick it in for a note in a run or in a lick. And, um, and it really fattened up uh, the trio gigs. So it has a character. It's not like a completely transparent, your bass turns into a five string bass or yeah. whatever. But I really, really liked it for that. I actually haven't used it for guitar that much. Like, there's, there's a lot of good use cases to use that effect. But I'm not, I'm not like a, a pog type of a guy or a, a general yeah. octave type of. Type How of did you like the OC5? I think we should talk about that later, Uncle Leon. 
All right. All right. I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to jump ahead too much. Uh, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a swing right here, and I'm just gonna get straight into it because boss chorus yep. is a thing. There's a few options on here, and I was there. Are, you know, a few options that I considered were the CE2. Mm-hmm. Got one of those. It's brilliant. Uh, the Wasacraft version is even more good because it has a CE1 mode on it. It sounds pretty much bang on with a CE1. Consider that. Considered the CH1, the Super Chorus, because it's really good and mm-hmm. it also does the C1 thing. Uh, the CE3 is awesome as well, but there really can only be one when it comes to boss pedals, and it's the DC2, because uh, it is the entire sound of an error in a small little pink box. Yep. I loved your demo video of that. That was, there's some, there's some videos that I watch and I just have to go out and buy that pedal. And that's one where I was like, oh my God, I have to have that thing. I never bought yeah, it. Maybe one day. But. The Wazacraft version is, it's one of the few things where you can safely say something is better than the original. Right. Uh, because Stereo In, it's mm-hmm. got the uh, SDD rack modes in there as well, which sound a little bit different. It is built way better and it is way quieter. Yep. And it can take hotter input signals. It's like they actually just went, okay, cool. Well, you know, the sound is great, but and I've tried an original DC2, really sensitive, like it basically only takes guitar level input. Mm-hmm. Like if you place it, you've really got to gain stage stuff right on it. Otherwise it breaks up, not in a super nice way. Uh, and it's not stereo in. But yeah, the the Wazacraft version is awesome. It's they it's you know, I feel like the Wazacraft stuff, they've, with the drives, it's pretty cool. Like the SD1 Waza, the custom mode uh, is like it kind of cuts slightly less low end. It's a little bit flatter sounding. It's a really cool sound, but, you know, an SD1 is perfect as it is. So yep. you might not get a whole lot of use for that. Uh, same thing with a bunch of the other ones. But yeah, the DC2 Wazacraft is like, don't spend big money on a vintage DC2. Just buy a new Wazacraft one. It's very subtle which i like and it's the sort of thing that if you can run in stereo it just adds what it says on the box dimension you know it's 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 chorus for people who don't like chorus yep um i mean i i said i have a c2 which was my my dad's which he's he bought in the 80s that and a an eq like the g7 um and i've always had those just since i was like little but the chorus, I, I'm not a guy that goes to a chorus sound and knows how to use it in my own playing. Until like I've worked it out now. Now this is actually one of the other reasons I'm keen about the FM3 is because I really want a chorus block in my HX stomp, but I've run out of block spaces. So, right. it's like, oh, so there's a few things that I want to do, and I just can't. I don't have the power to do it. But um, the the Dimension D that is like a that that I can just immediately understand how I can find that useful in my playing and my guitar tones because yeah just to to get that sometimes like a, just a purely clean clean sound is it's so bland and boring and no wonder I hate it for so long it's just having that little yeah. bit of chorus on there is uh, just to widen it widen it out even if it's in mono just give it a bit of dimension as it says and there's a really so, clever trick with it because in and I didn't realize this until <clears throat> I, like I'd read this but you know a popular modulation technique for chorusing and for modulated delays if you're playing in stereo is you know the way a typical modulated delay or chorus works is you have a set delay time and a low frequency oscillator Mm -hmm. and what you do is you change the delay time slightly 
And as the delay line, you know, kind of moves, it changes the pitch slightly. Right. And that's where you get the, the wobble of chorus, right? So that sounds good and it sounds wobbly and it's really easy to overdo it. So something like a dimension or something like a true, you know, stereo modulated delay is what you have is you have the same, well, you have a delay on each side and then as the left delay line gets modulated to be slightly longer, the right delay line gets modulated to be slightly shorter. Right, okay. You kind of do this and that creates this super wide stereo effect. The other aspect of the dimension sounding really good is the fact that, you know, there's like pre and de-emphasis filters in there and, you know, there's companding and there's all that stuff that makes, you know, getting around the inherent noise of some of those uh, old, you know, chips is the fact that, yeah, they weren't, they couldn't really take super high bandwidth stuff. So you got to like slam the bandwidth down, but then you got to try and get it back somehow. So, and of course that doesn't, it's not a like super pure process. You don't get everything back. So you end up with this kind of character imparted in there. And then, you know, boss has their like dimension processing, which um, yeah, it's that combination of like the outer phase modulation and then the compounding and the emphasis filters and, you know, whatever the actual dimension thing is. What I found it was interesting was um, a buddy of mine on the Fractal Forum who lives in Sweden, who is amazing at recreating, like measuring and recreating effects in the Fractal. Um, big Lucas fan, which is sort of how we got chatting. Um, and he like, you know, measured an original PCM70 and got the pan and circular delay sounding identical. And we've gone back and forth a bit. We measured the different modes on the original DC2. And they said... Yeah, it was interesting that mode, you know, the SDD has a high, low, and medium dimension mode. The pedal doesn't have the high dimension mode. Hmm. It's button one is the low mode, and then button two, three, and four are the medium mode with just slightly different rate and depth. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's really interesting. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, you just plug them in on the, I've like got them on the, on the axe, saved as blocks. Uh, if people follow my channel, they can find my blocks library on there. And yeah, it sounds bang on it was interesting because i was going back and forth with the wasacraft one i was like oh there's something that's happening here and uh yeah it was just a slightly different rate and depth so and it is it's a slow rate on there i think it's like 0.5 or 0.6 hertz so it's not a super oh, okay, yeah. chorus but yeah it is it's just a beautiful sounding thing that's the dc2 that's my second pick sweet well i'll give you one more one that i like let's just give it up for the boss compressor and I'll, I'll, I'll say the CE3. I've got a CE2, I've got a CE3, and I do like the CE3 a little bit more for some reason. Um, I, it's taken me a long time to understand how to get compression to work on guitar for what I, I want and like it to do. Um, because I understand what the knobs do on a, uh, like in pro audio, but to make it, okay, if I look at the attack and release knobs and threshold and ratio, uh, makeup gain, etc., on a co- studio compressor, and then I see a sustain knob on a compressor pedal. I'm like, what does that do? Like, I don't, do I, don't I can't, and it, yeah, even with attack, and it's like, is that attack working in the same way I think an attack is working on a hardware compressor? It's a, yeah, so it's, it's taken a little bit, but I really have come to enjoy the C3, um, particularly in front of like, you know, a clean amp and like the, the deluxe is the one that 
Mm. I really, really, really liked it on. Actually, the Synergy too, the the clean channel in that, I, I like a lot. Um, but yeah, just having the tone control on that, I think is really useful. As we, we spoke about the, um, you know, Father Kip Winger, just crank up the sustain knob and oh. that's how you get a great acoustic guitar sound, um, which is true. And I went out and bought one well, as soon as possible, despite the fact that heard that on like the Monday night before COVID, like <laughs> shut everything down on Wednesday. So it took a little bit, but um, yeah, that's that's probably the last one I'll, I'll mention on, on the list. So I've got yeah. a, C2, a, a CS2 um, and I got that for a reasonable price. I, funnily enough, I got that because I read that was Red Beach's favorite one. Oh, there you go. So, so, yeah. so Red's on the CS2 and Kip's on the CS3. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I don't know. Like it, it, To me, it was like a little bit more transparent, which I suppose is a good thing, but I wanted to feel it a bit more. And I, I kind of yeah. get that sensation a bit more with the C3. Like it can get noisy depending on how you run it, but um, that's it's something that I, I leave in my pedal tray because I find it really useful for cleaner guitar sounds. I actually haven't tried it. Well, I've tried the digital recreation of it in the GT1000 and GX100. I really like it. Uh, the CP1X, I think it is. They're like that X looks awesome. It's the the it's modeled in the gt is the x comp yep fantastic it's uh i've got a well, it's got a mix knob on it i think yeah yeah and, and i've got a student who has a gt 1000 we spent a lot of time dialing in sounds on that and it's sort of like the problem solver thing where they've been like oh it's really really close but i'm just kind of lacking a bit of something like a bit of body or a bit of sustain it's like put this put the x comp on boom it's yeah i'd be really interested to know what it is if it's a because I think that whole X series, they call it their multi-dimensional processing. Okay. So, <clears throat> so there's a bit I'm of digital sure stuff in there too. Yeah, there might be a bit of like digital multi-band stuff going on. Right. And, uh, I should really get the compact pedal version of it because uh, I, I really like the digital recreation. But yeah, it looks really, really good. Yeah. Um, something, again, those X series pedals are pretty underrated. And there was the, uh, like a Dyna drive and stuff like that. I know people really oh, yeah. like it. It's kind of, they're digital, but they're, they're doing stuff that, they're not just like, oh, well, we've recreated the circuit of a DS1. It's like, no, we're going to use fun stuff, um, dynamic stuff in there that you wouldn't otherwise get. So I kind of really appreciate that. I'm a little bit torn on my third choice on here, mate, because there's a few. I'm going to give some honorable mentions before I do this. Uh, the Blues Driver. Oh, yeah, great pedal. The pedal that I didn't get for a long time until you try it with a Fender amp and you're just like, oh, turn the tone control all the way down and just use that to give it a little bit more cleans up great with your volume control uh, like literally if i was doing a blues gig i get a strat a blues driver and a deluxe reverb and that would be the tone yeah and you can do everything with that uh the ge7 you mentioned earlier is a great utility device mm -hmm. i actually don't own one though so i've used them heaps um i've got the eq20 the twin pedal version i use that for a long time uh it's not a compact pedal so i can't include it here but the dd20 would mm -hmm. be right up there as well. One of my favorite delays. So uh, the, you know, we mentioned the SD1. There's the SD2, which is really cool. I've owned the OS2, Overdrive Distortion, which I didn't really like that much. The OD3, which is a totally different thing. Uh, that's the sort of sleeper boutique amp in a box. A lot of similarities with the Blues Driver. Uh, and then obviously, mate, we got Metal Zone. We got HM2. They were all considerations in there, but my choice is going to be the humble DD2 because I finally got one recently and oh, yep. 
it's I never got slap delay yeah. until I tried one of these. Um, just wasn't on my radar. Uh, and man, it's like the best slap delay pedal ever. It just, you put a little bit on and it's sort of like, oh, is that a delay or is it like a little spring reverb or, you know, you play, you have a compressor and a telecaster and a bit of slap from the DD2. It's awesome. Uh, and then as just a normal, like a, you know, it's got the different ranges on there mm -hmm. for the delays. So you can kind of set the knob to like the maximum on one or the minimum on the other. And it's a really good kind of, you know, edge style rhythmic delay. And it sounds really nice on lead stuff. Uh, I've also got a Boss DSD, the digital sampling delay. Oh, yeah. Which I remember seeing the Doug Wimbish rig rundown. Yep. Pretty sure Doug's using one of those. And for like, it's got a real like 800 millisecond phrase sampler in it. So he was just like, yeah, you just do this and you hold down the pedal and you get these like crazy self-oscillating or like, you know, you do it right and you get a kind of glitch groove thing. And uh, yeah, so I like either of those. I feel like I just have to have a boss delay in there. I've got a DM2 as well, which is cool. Um, and super, mine sounds super crusty and lo-fi, but yeah, just the DD2. I kind of get it now. I bought one and it was like, DD2, I'm not as familiar with, like, the DD3, the DD6. DD3 and DD2. And the DD7. I think Frank I might have had a DD7 that got stolen, but they're all, they're just, like... They just like, work, man. No, that's the, all boss pedals, they just work. Like, they, it's, I was trying to think of a good analogy for it. Like, if you need a set of screwdrivers, you just go buy your Stanley screwdrivers and you <laughs> yeah. get it all, you get everything in there. You just buy your boss like buy something from boss and it's all going to be fine. It's going to last probably as long as you need it. You just have to try not to lose the, uh, lose them. You know, got to put them back there's in the case the, when you're done. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, I think there's a good argument to be made that every pedal board should have at least one boss pedal on it. Yeah. Which for a lot of people is the tuner. Uh, for me, it's the SD one. That's kind of going to be on every pedal board. Yep. But I think any of the pedals we've mentioned, like they would fit on pretty much anybody's rig. Like, you know, you got a you got a pedal board that you like. Put an OC two on it; it's more fun. Yep. Put a DC two on it; it's more fun. Put a compressor on it; it's more fun. It's 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 really interesting that, and I think it's really easy to take for granted as well that there is this company whose stuff is so universally celebrated and universally useful. Yeah, you know, even if and, and I think the thing is with with Boss stuff, it's even if people go, it's not my favorite. There is a thing of like, but if I had to use it, it'll do. Yeah. I've had way less success with boutique stuff than <laughs> I have yeah. with, um, yeah, with the humble boss thing. But I, I kind of feel like that with a lot of the big name brands like your MXRs, you, you just, you get what you get and it's always going to be okay. Yeah. Um, some of the like more mad scientist stuff is really cool, but it's kind of, there are examples of this with boss gear too, where it's like, it's a single use case pedal. And so if you don't have a use, like, I, I feel like if I'm doing a covers gig, which is a different story, I need to cover like a lot of ground, then having one pedal on a board, that's only going to give you like one thing. Yeah. I, like, for example, with Boss, like the slicer pedal, which is a cool, a cool, <laughs> sound, cool sound, cool effect. But it's like, you know, if you've got to get down and continually change it, like you might, it probably has one use for one song. It's like. Okay, that's not for my money. Not worth the like couple hundred bucks that it's going to be, but um, that's the first one that came to mind for some reason. The and same thing like the SY one, the synth has some great great sounds in it, but yeah. 
you got to have a specific use case for those sounds. Um, yeah. it, that one works great on bass, actually. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Uh, the a uh, few other things which are interesting, like you know, there's a few other like cult boss pedals that are really good at stuff that people that they're not super renowned for. Like the HM2 is obviously one. Mm-hmm. It's a really good fuzz. Like, right. You want to be David Gilmore? You want to have like a really smooth fuzz on top of a clean amp? HM2 is perfect. You just don't have the treble knob all the way up. Um, yeah. Yeah. That 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 one's interesting because there was a craft version of it doesn't have it doesn't really have a you know distinct secondary mode it's just like here you go you all ask for this have at it and yeah. like the chainsaw thing is you know it's not our wheelhouse but it's a celebrated thing yeah. as well it's a it's such a it's crazy that a single pedal actually talking to a buddy of mine who uh is in sweden works for a um, music tech company there and he had a theory about the HM2 where he remembers buying one and it was just like every music store, you know, and there's probably like three music stores, you know, at the time. He's like, basically, you'd walk in and the guy would say, oh, you need the heavy metal pedal. So you buy one. And his theory is that they couldn't sell them anywhere else. So some they probably cut a deal with like a music distributor in Sweden who just went, yeah, we'll buy them all for whatever sort of discount and just flog them to kids. And then yep. those kids bought them and then happened to, you know, basically invent a new genre. And because everyone had one of those, they used them. Yep. So that was his uh, HM2 theory. This is funny. Emanated. Have you heard that story about the, it's like in Sweden in around like say 1982. And it was that big music festival concert that came on like on a Saturday night. And all of the kids in that yeah, era yeah. all just happened to watch this one music and it just changed the face of like Swedish heavy metal for forever. It's the, I can't remember who was on the lineup, but I think it was your like, maybe it was like Ozzy Osbourne or your, um, I can't, I can't fucking remember who was there, but yeah, it was just sw- Sweden. They just have that one thing and it's just between yeah, that, I the HM, uh, yeah. I think as well, like especially Scandinavian now in terms of global culture is so kind of preeminent and you always see the scandinavian countries like top the list for like the happiest places on earth the highest standard of living you know all these kind of things but sort of and like for you and me and anyone our age like you know the cold war is not a factor in our thinking but certainly for our parents like you know the specter of nuclear holocaust hanging over your head and like scandinavia during the 70s and the 80s like it wasn't it wasn't Great Britain and the United States, like it wasn't these what we now consider like Western European. Uh, there were these sort of like, you know, a little bit non-aligned, a little bit like properly socialist, uh, like just cult and obviously culturally very distinct, linguistically distinct. Um, they weren't like as integrated, I think, into the what you might want to call like, you know, global Western culture or whatever you want to call it now. So they kind of had their own thing going on. That idea of uh, probably a whole lot more like Australia was in the 70s and 80s where it was just its own small slice of the earth that wasn't totally, uh, you know, high on the fumes of American pop culture like it is now. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like I remember growing up, my parents being like, ah, that, yeah, that American crap that everyone's into. Oh, yeah, that, that was, was the ni- that was living here in the 90s, absolutely. That was living here in the 90s where it was like, yeah, American American culture like kind of superseded what was going on, but yeah, like their own distinct cultures. Where that that's such an Australian 
style story where, oh yeah, like some band came on Hey Hey It's Saturday and the entire country watched it and that's why <laughs> they went and bought this thing. Yeah. Um, that's sort of the the impact. I guess if you're a touring band, yeah, and you got on Hey Hey It's Saturday, you know like everyone in Australia would buy a copy of your album. Yep. Um, so that's such an interesting story. Yeah. That, yeah, that certainly wouldn't happen anymore. No. Everything, you know, for better or for worse, you know, we don't have these like monocultures anymore. I think everyone should tune into the Gear Podcast every Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. And then they will know the correct boss pedals to buy. So it's pretty interesting. Like, I feel like, yeah, our choices were pretty conservative, but it's like a a lower C conservative, isn't it? It's like sort of the the one that most people go like, well, yeah, of course, you just just do this. It's not controversial. It's just something that works. Hey, mate, I got a question for you. Yes. You want to sling some hate? Ah, oh, yeah. Should we talk about the worst boss pedals? Let's talk about some negativity, mate. Let's let's get full internet on this. Uh, for me, I'm going to name one that immediately comes to mind that I kind of think sucks. Name the it, OS2. shame it. The OS2. The OS2. I didn't like it. I know people dig it, but it was lame. It was neither here nor there. It was just a little bit too safe for me. Yeah, it's um. You mentioned that last week as well, right? I'm going to get this on a T-shirt. The OS2 sucks. Yeah, just remind me again what the what the difference was with the OS2. There's a knob on it that goes from oh, the blend distortion. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And the overdrive, you know, it doesn't sound like an S. Uh, it's probably its own thing, and it's probably designed for a real specific use case. But it was just, uh, yeah, kind of neither here nor there. Um, I think I might have spilled the beans on your one earlier, so just go for it, mate. Mate, the uh, OC5 in the bin. Did not watch a watch a little uh, YouTube channel called uh, Leon Todd talking it up. You got to get this new OC five pedal, and I fucking hated it. Um, yeah, didn't do what it said on the tin for you. No, so okay, just for more context, the OC two. The way I used that on bass was because I wanted to make one single note be lower, and it yep. does that job very easily. The OC five does that job relatively easily as well, so no problem there. Um, and I did, I actually have sold it now, but I'd considered keeping it so I could do more of that like pog thing, like make it more of a quirky effect and uh, like the single note stuff. However, my problem with it, the polyphonic mode and the advertising surrounding it, I don't, this is not to throw you under the bus, Uncle Leon. This is kind of just, I I deserve it. No, well, I watch a lot of videos and I I think it's, it's really clever. The idea that you can just octave the lower strings um, because doing the gigs that I do, um, which is mostly me with a guitar and a singer and me singing as well and a lot of looping and this sort of stuff. If I'm playing a song which is th- the same two bars, four bars repeated, then I can like chuck that down. I'll give you a good example, Uncle Leon. You know the song Return of the Mac? Return of the Mac. It's your A minor seven, D minor seven repeat. So I can play those chords. Then I can put that in a loop, play a bass line over the top of it, loop that in there, and then I can just rip a solo for the for like as long as I like. So exactly. perfect. So if you then go to a song like Valerie, and this is the most stock songs I can possibly think of, so you'll have to excuse me, but Valerie is a song that has unfortunately two sections to it. It has yep. a verse and it has a chorus. And um, it's also one that everybody loves and dances and stuff. So when you go from like a song that's got lots of bass and full fat, fat dancey stuff in a duo context to something that is a little bit thinner, it's a bit of a downer. So buy my OC5, I can put, at the very least, I can just play 
So like we played Valerie in the key of D. Um, what is it? D? Yeah. Um, and so it'll put a low octave D on it and then I can go up and play the E and then that'll yep. sound like, doesn't have to sound like a, um, a bass. I just want more fullness and thickness in the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So I tried really hard to make that work with the pedal uh, in the polyphonic mode, because I understand, as I understand it, it's it must just be like a low pass filter um, on the control, whereby it lops off everything above a certain frequency range and does an octave it, which is, makes complete sense. But the transition period for starters between like when you want it to octave and when you don't want it to octave was a bit murky, and I had yeah, to have that right. lowered way down too low to make it. Um, you know, sort of usable for me to the point where it starts to really add too much bottom end to other notes on the guitar that I didn't want. Cause I really wanted from like, it's really just that D down. Like, so the, again, fifth fret on the, on the A string. It feels down. like the kind of thing where you'd need a parallel setup to get it to really work. Yeah. Perfectly. And I thought about that because there is a, a separate output just for the bass, but then to make that work with the rest of the rig just got very complicated and convoluted. So it's a little bit like those electroharmonic synth pedals. It's exactly like, yeah, the string synth one, and it was really annoying to use it as a blend. But running it in parallel was like, oh, actually, if I put this in like a loop in my Axe FX, it's one hundred percent wet, and I use a volume pedal to just bring it in a bit. It works, and then for playing live, that's too hard. Yeah, and I used uh, the Key Nine one as well in my yeah, right. I set it for a bit, but to it sounded okay not running in the front of an amp, like in, in this, the amp situation is the HX Stomp amps him. Yeah. Um, but there's like not one button that turns that pedal on and turns the, like the amp sim off. Yeah. And to, to get it all to work was like quite, like quite, quite a lot more convoluted than it needed to be. And then to get that into a looping situation too, it was, it was too hard. So I just ditched it basically. I need to right. put that one up for sale. But so anyway, the OC2, sorry, OC5, it didn't work for the setup. I tried really hard. I also found like when I did try it in those contexts, I just couldn't get enough like volume out of it for whatever reason. I don't know yeah, if that was again, also user error, but um, that one unfortunately had to go. So I was a bit disappointed, but, and I did definitely didn't make my money back on it. I bought that one new. I went to the shops and bought it. You went to an actual music store and bought an actual thing. But I will say as well, around the time that I, uh, maybe a little bit before um, I was, uh, one of the, t the tape students had a pedal board and he had an OC3 on it. And uh, I said to him like, oh, OC3, that's awesome. Like I've been looking at the getting the OC5 and he said, yeah, don't get that one. That, that's <laughs> bad. The OC3 tracks better and sounds better. The OC5, oh, right. that's what he said. And he does, he does not do looping, but it's a lot more finger pick stuff. So possibly yeah, that's the reason right. too. Maybe if I was finger picking and not strumming, it would have been different, but it definitely didn't work my setup. And I've seen a lot of OC5s for sale. So I don't think I'm the only person to have a bad experience with it. So um, hang out for the OC6, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So what about you, Uncle Leon? What, are, what else do you, what do you yeah, hate? I'm, I'm looking at this long list of things on here and trying to figure out which one I could throw under the bus immensely. So, uh, you know what, mate? You know one pedal that really disappointed me when I first tried it? Tell me. And it hasn't reared its ugly head just yet. It's the DS1. Yeah. I thought about putting that on the list, but I thought that might be a bit too uh, basic, but go on, it's, tell me. This is this is not understanding what something does at its core. Yeah. Uh, I really like the DS1 in front of a dirty amp for a lead sound. Like, to me, there's something in my brain, and I've probably read that Steve Vai used one. Yep. And Joe Satriani used one. 
But when I first got one, I was like, well, what you do is you have your dirty sound, your rhythm sound, and then when you want to play a solo, you kick the DS1 on. And I actually really like it in that context. Into a clean amp, it is hot garbage. Mm -hmm. I am not a massive fan of that unless, unless you're playing it into something like a clean boogie where you can scoop it out okay. and then it's Nirvana, which yep. is a bit of a thing. But yeah, it's it's a pedal that's misunderstood. I don't think it I don't think it deserves all the hate it gets. I also don't think it fully deserves a lot of the accolades that it gets because using it as like a clean boost, you can do other things with that. Uh, the sort of reissue one that they've done with it the clean boost mode is way better and you can actually get way more clean boosts out of it. Right. Um, so again, yeah, sort of like the Wazacraft thing, again, being much better than the real thing because the custom mode's awesome. But the actual, just the stock DS1 is, I just remember getting one and being like, this is going to be it. And it was not it. Uh, the other yep. one, like I know Gary Moore used one as well, kind of in that you got a hot marshal, you hit the DS1, it gives you a bit more. It's like, it makes everything really thick. I um I got one when I was sixteen I think it was my first no what it wasn't my first distortion uh, Metal Zone was my first distortion that was too <laughs> heavy so I got a DS one that was a yeah. little bit lighter and more more yeah. usable um, but yeah I never got it to work for me I thought it just it didn't have the clarity and the chug that I wanted yeah yeah um, it's it, not a sound that I particularly love yeah you know? and it's it's the sort of thing where you can use it for certain genres of music and it's really appropriate. Yeah, but yeah. I'm like, the more that I play with pedals and stuff, the more I realize I'd like a distortion pedal or distortion is the thing that I don't really specifically strive for. Right, like something yeah, yeah. really overdriven um, for whatever these words actually mean. Um, well, distortion, hard clipping, yeah. right? So that's the, it just always sounds a bit too, yeah, just a bit too harsh and clangy for me. In saying that, I've heard them sound really good. Like my friend, yeah. my friend Dave, who I went to uni with, um, he had such a wicked 800 and I still regret not buying it. I didn't have the money to, to, to buy it at the time. But I, he would have sold it to me for like $800, $1,000 maybe. And good luck getting something like that now. But it was an amazing sounding 800. And I remember going to his house when we were uh, maybe first, second year of uni. He's like, oh, check out this guitar sound. Had the DS1 plugged in with the tone knob all the way down and hit a chord. I'm like, fuck, that sounds awesome. Okay, there's my first error. Like, I just always remember having the tone control up. Yeah, I think that's a big part error of it. Piece. Like, it's, I've, oh, you know what? I sold mine to um, to someone a couple of years ago. But I think that it's kind of like with the tube screaming, like, it sounds better when the tone knob is down. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a drive. I agree. Yeah, so that, that worked, but uh, that sounded pretty good, but it never really worked for me. So um, I'm going to roll through a couple of others really quick because I unfortunately need to wrap this up a little earlier. I wish I could yeah. do another two hour with your Uncle Leon, but this I'll give you a- dishonorable mentions part of the podcast. Let me throw another one at you, mate. Um, the, I'll set the scene. 2000 and th uh, 2004, <laughs> January. Um, my friend James, who I was playing in my first band with, I, his mum used to work for like a Ross's auction type of place. Oh, yeah. And um, at the time, I was obsessed with Incubus and I loved all the pedals. And uh, he shows up to band rehearsals like, oh, look at what my mum got at this auction thing. And pulls out like a boss case with like your- The pedal board case? The, the pedal board case, yep. yep. DM2 was in there. I think there was like a phaser in there. 
like all this wow. stuff. It was just filled with these pedals, and I was like, "Fuck me, this is my dream come true." I can get my Incubus sounds. I am Mike Heinziger. But he had um, yeah, anyway. It was his. What was in there, Uncle Leon? Was a little little red pedal called the Boss Extortion. I cannot believe that you've actually played one of these because I reckon once a month I look at them on eBay and go, "It's time." How much are they worth? Uh, two hundred. Oh, mate, I'll, I'll hit James up. I'm sure he's still got it. That would be incredible. We um, I've always it, been so curious. That and the digital metalizer. Oh, yeah. I remember when that came out. Oh, I remember the seeing metalizer that. metalizer was like a out. mini multi-effects. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Well, the extortion, like, it just had the crustiest sound. Like, no matter what, like, place I set the knobs to, no matter what I tried to do with it, I couldn't get a tone. In saying, this is 20 years ago. Yeah. Almost 20 years ago. So, like with the DS1, like you get older and you learn things and it's most likely operator error. But at that time, I just thought like, this is just yucky. It's, it's yucky, yucky. Because what I want is that like big, clear rock sound. And this yeah. is just given me like pokey, nasty shit. Um, and so, I just... Like for the re- for basically the next ten years, I was like, oh, extortion! Oh, it's the it's the worst pedal I've ever seen in my life. It actually looks cool. The color of it's awesome. Oh, I got it. Of it, is it has to happen. I've got to get one and demo it now. So I'll hit James up because I reckon I'll um I reckon he'll he'll lend it to me. So uh, that's the list. Uh, what about you, mate? We'll do uh, you do one. I'll do one, and then okay, yeah, three more so pedals. Total. Is, I'm I'm just trying to think of a few other boss pedals that I've owned and maybe flipped over the years. I mentioned the OS two. There's there's a few other drives which are like fine. The SD do SD two was surprisingly good. I've never tried the Turbo Overdrive. Oh yeah, a friend of mine had one of those and raved about it because you could you could connect a little extra switch. I always thought that was really really cool. Uh, <sighs> I'll just say actually on that, my friend he had a uh, an AVT one fifty stack full stack and a Turbo distortion. Is that, that Turbo yeah. distortion? Yeah, and he's I distinctly remember him saying. Man, I've got all the guitar sounds in the world with this rig. What this like, is the one. Yeah. So anyway, sorry that was uh, that I've, yeah. I've forgotten that. But do you remember the do you remember the series of pedals that they did, uh, like the Terra Echo and the Multi Overtone? Oh, yeah. They were good. Um, and I remember seeing yeah. going to again Cosmic. I was with a friend of the podcast, Ben Wilson, and Ben's definitely watching this on YouTube. Exactly. We love you, Ben. And we both bought multi-overtone pedals because the idea yeah. demoing it was just demoing the three of those. That was really, really cool. So that's another kind of like honorable mention. I think I'm actually going to have to go out of the compact and go to the RT20, the rotary. Oh, okay. So I owned that for a while. And it's kind of a pedal which gets a lot of love. Operator error because I didn't know what I bought. I just yep. had a cool <clears throat> little glowing light on there. I just didn't know how to get a sound out of that. I am an idiot. And I sold it, and I'd love to try one again. The other 20 series pedals are really, really good. Uh, the <laughs> Actually, you know what, Troy? Uh, some of the drive sounds on the ME50 mm-hmm. are awesome. Some are just the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. Like some of the Boss COSM sounds, the drive sounds, whew, you were talking about yuck before, but, you know, they'd always have like a token like metal stack or something. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Not a big fan. But it's it's kind of hard to. I feel like we're really kind of scraping the man. The their power. way, all they do is 
well, mostly what they do is more hits than misses. Yeah. Um, and like, to be honest, like I thought of the OC5 and I thought of the uh, extortion immediately when we were talking about this, when we yeah. were going to talk about this, but I struggled to find something else that I didn't really like. So I'm just going to add one more in that I thought was a bit whatever. And that's the adaptive distortion. Yeah, right. Okay. And I had that for a bit because I think it works in, if I'm, it was a little while, it's been a couple of years since I had it, but I think it works in a slightly multiband where maybe the high end and low end can be distorted in different yeah, ways, Yeah, which I do that on bass a lot when I'm uh, yes. like mixing. Yeah, that makes sense. But in terms of a distortion, I just was a bit like, oh, okay, this is fine. It's, it's kind of like, I don't know, to me using it, it's the idea of a solution in search of a problem, <laughs> um, yeah, which- there's plenty of those pedals out there, isn't there? Yeah. Remember, uh, did you ever try the metal core or the power stack? No, I never tried. Yeah. I tried the mega distortion and that was kind of cool. And can we just also say as well, like the MT2, the whole like, oh, it was secretly designed as a preamp. No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. People started using it as a preamp. It definitely, there is no way the engineers at Boss went, you know what? Secretly, you got to put this in a in into a power amp return. That's what you got to do. No, no, no. It's a it's a it's a a, a happy accident. And you know what? The stock metal zone it kind of sucks. The Wasacraft version, the custom mode, is pretty sick because that kind of was designed as a preamp, and they've changed their EQ stuff on there. I get it. And even just a stock metal zone as like a preamp, yeah, it's pretty cool. But I I kind of the first time I ever heard about it was ola england doing it it's like <laughs> hey ola that's pretty sick man like that's a that's a cool hack but uh i've seen people who are like yeah man it's secretly a preamp and then lots of other pedals that aren't like oh hey mate you know like the mt2 it's secretly a preamp no it's not i like I, that was my first distortion pedal i think was the mt2 i remember going to concept music yeah with right the intention to buy the dime distortion it had two switches on it. Oh, the that MXR. Was, yeah, and I really, really, yeah, really right. wanted one. And, but that was a bit more expensive. The MT2 was less than 200 bucks, and I, I walked out with that one. Um, and I think it might have even been like a birthday present or something. I would have been 15-ish. Yeah, right. six, That's 15. Cool. Yeah, 15. Anyway, um, the thing with that pedal is despite how much it sucks in so many ways, at that age, if you want to play like heavier mu or distorted music or like Metallica sounds. Mm -hmm. The fact that you can so easily scoop um, oh, whatever you want, because that mid-range control is quite versatile. It's and concussion then just, in a pedal. Yeah, you just can't make it subtle. Like it's on and it is like ripping. Actually, to bring him up one more time, pretty sure Red Beach had one as a boost in his in front of his Marshall. Yeah, yeah right. Which is quite funny. I can, I can believe that. You know, it is, it is a pedal. It's not a pedal for all seasons, but when it works, it, it's pretty amazingly yeah cool. it's um well your drummer cam like his favorite guitar sound ever is still, still the metal zone. metal zone plugged into my avt 100 like he that's his favorite guitar sound so man fine that's awesome like i i played with that for a couple of years and it made me very very happy so anyway we should probably leave it there uncle leon because um uncle troy's got a recording session to do. Go and do some work first so, i'm mate, gonna go get a coffee you, but uh yeah thank you as always mate it's a pleasure being talking about these things if uh, people out there listening want to 
uh, weigh in, they can message us on Instagram or leave a comment or come to my YouTube and tell me what your favorite and your least favorite boss pedals are. Leave us lots of comments on this video because uh, I go back and read all of them because um, yep. I have to know. Like the Instagram at The Gear Podcast. Um, do all those sort of things. I was going to say, Uncle Leon, we, c- uh, we should do like a question answer type of thing soon. Okay. Um, so maybe- we do that for the next one? Should yeah, absolutely. Should people questions in there? So two things, you got to tell us your favorite boss pedal. Three things. This has become like the Spanish Inquisition now. Your least favorite boss pedal. And then we'll do a Q&A session with everybody. So uh, fire away with all your questions and uh, we'll get back to you. Absolutely. Uncle Leon, just give you one of these, mate. Actually, I'll give you one of these. One of these ones. Well done. Um, have a good week. Um, I've got some- I've got some- new podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll see you next week, mate. Bye. See you, mate.